And open your Bibles to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the winged child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious." This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, as we prepare to hear your word proclaimed, pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds during this season that we might go forth to proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as most of you know, I grew up in High Point, North Carolina, and from time to time, people come up to me and say, that's up in the mountains, right? And I'll say, well, no, it sounds like it should be uh, with a name like High Point, but it's actually in the middle of the state, um, in, the, in the Piedmont region. But since graduating high school, I've now lived in 10 different counties across our state, none of which were within 100 miles of New Hanover County until I was appointed here by our bishop. One of the things that caught my attention when I moved to Wrightsville Beach was this big palmetto tree out in my front yard. We don't have those where I come from. We also have a lot more pine trees here than we do back home, and I mean way more pine trees here. And the live oaks are so different from the oak trees back home, too. Now, we got lots of oak trees in High Point, but not, not like the ones here. Um, back home, I've got to say that the oak trees are straighter, maybe even taller. Um, but here, they're, the branches are so thick and strong, and they spread out for days. I mean, if you were to get the circumference of a canopy of one of these live oaks, it would be tremendous, right? I, I mean, it, the weight of one of those trees, it seems to defy the laws of gravity, Especially, especially those ones over at Airly Gardens. Y'all ever been over there and seen those big old trees? I mean, they're magnificent. Some of them are hundreds of years old. I, I wonder just how many people would fit under the shade of that one that dominates the lawn there where you have the concerts and the picnics and the weddings. And, I mean, you could put a couple hundred people under that tree. Really, really amazing. But back to the pines for a minute. I, I'm always struck. When I drive I-40 from here to Raleigh, how the trees change along the way. The most common trees that you see on the left and right of the road as you start that journey are pine trees. 
But as you continue heading west, the trees start to change, especially around I-95, right? That's when the evergreens start to give way to more deciduous trees. And in the fall, you'll see the yellows and the oranges and the reds. And in the wintertime, you won't see any leaves on those trees at all. They'll be completely bare. Well, for a couple years of my life, I lived among the trees. You see, I lived at a Methodist camp surrounded by 400 acres of old-growth forest. I didn't know much about the trees when I moved to Camp Chestnut Ridge, a, a place that was named for the chestnut oaks that dominate the landscape there. But I began to learn a few things about trees in the couple of years that I lived there. First of all, a forest floor is kind of messy. Uh, when I would get off the path at camp um, and just start tromping through the woods, I never actually stepped on dirt. You don't step on the ground. You step on this like mat of decaying leaves and broken branches. There might be ferns over here and mushrooms over there. There'll be new trees of different sizes trying to find some sunlight. And there'll be old trees that you got to climb over because they've fallen down. At first glance, it looks rather random and unorganized. But what makes a wild, unmanaged forest so vital, even when the forest floor looks like your teenager's room, is that scattered among all that messy substrata in these mossy, decaying forests are these important nurturing sites called nurse logs. Nurse logs. Nurse logs are those great big chunks of dead, decaying wood that you find in the forest, okay? Except they're only dead at the level of the first generation. Only the initial tree that fell to the ground is dead. In reality, that dead tree is actually thriving for it's busy giving life to a whole new generation of trees. The decaying surface of a dead tree creates the perfect growing space for a tiny seed, for a, 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 little, a little seedling, for that, that sky-seeking sapling to grow. It holds water. It even fights off diseases. The decaying tree is full of all the right nutrients to become the perfect nursemaid, the perfect nurse tree to the upcoming generation. Well, right before I left the camp to go to Duke Divinity School, it was decided by people up the chain to cut down part of the forest, to sell it off and create a space to study new forest growth. Personally, I was not in favor of this plan. I thought it would look ugly, and it turned out I was right. But it wasn't my decision to make. Well, I've had the privilege of going back to Camp Chestnut Ridge probably every year since I lived there. In fact, my son attends there every summer. And I started to notice something as I went back. Alongside the road, as you come into the middle of the camp where they cut down those trees years ago, are these stumps still there from that cut that took place 23 years ago. And springing out from nearly every single one of them are new trees. Some of them are just a foot or two high. Some are as tall as I am. Some are much taller than I am. 
They all stand straight out of these old rugged stumps that provided the perfect booster seats for these seeds to germinate and grow. Well, that's the same image, the same eternal care, the same divinely planned sustainability that this week's Isaiah text describes with such poetic power. Notice how the prophet describes the coming of the great new messianic king, the ruler who will redeem Israel and reclaim her favored place among the nations. He doesn't describe a giant of a man. He doesn't describe this electric storm full of power. Instead, the prophet's image starts small. The long-awaited Messiah arrives as a shoot, as a tiny, tender little sprout. This shoot doesn't spring out of some carefully prepared, plowed, and furrowed field. Its source for germination is the decaying stump of an old, once powerful family name from hundreds of years ago. Jesse, the father of David, was the father of the entire line of kings that served Israel and Judah. Jesse gave life to a king who in turn gave life to the greatest age of power and influence that Israel ever knew. And even though Isaiah's message to Israel in the first ten chapters of this book um, described the nation's decay and its moral bankruptcy, the history of Israel's relationship with God is not dismissed. It's not thrown away. All those past generations, all those who lived and died, made up this rich, fertile layer of soil, a deep, complex loam of sustaining the new generations yet to come. Even in her most broken and battered state, even while other nations were dominating Israel, there's this vital essence that can nurture a new divine presence in the people's midst. The Messiah is first described as a single shoot. But there's a deeper source to this new ruler's life, and it's not just the stump of Jesse that gives it vitality. It's those deep roots themselves. It's that which nurtured and brought life even to Jesse. The Messiah springs forth not just from Jesse, but also from that divine presence that existed long before Israel. The Messiah's roots are in God. It's these roots of divinity which enable the Spirit of the Lord to flow up through this tender shoot, a Spirit which brings wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Roots, stumps, spindly green shoots, tender new branches. None of that sounds flashy, does it? None of it sounds impressive by worldly standards. Instead, they're small, they're simple, little signs of life and hope that show us that God is present. You know, nowadays, it's increasingly hard to sell small anywhere, you know, in our 21st century consumer-driven culture. Those few items that we want to be small, you know, like, what, laptops and cell phones, the only reason we think they're any good is because they pack a big technological punch, right? Even our language has changed over the years. The trend in everyday conversation now is to use really grandiose words. You know, outstanding is the new good. You know, awesome is the new okay. You know, ginormous is the new big, right? 
You know, I was at a local restaurant last weekend, and everything my wife asked the waiter was answered in superlatives. She would say, how's the salmon? Fantastic. Really? Uh, does it come with rice? Absolutely. <laughs> would a good or a yes have been fine? Undeniably. But, uh, <laughs> you know, at Starbucks nowadays, the smallest coffee you can order is a tall, you know, which is just wonderfully ironic. Grande, which is both Spanish and Italian for large, is medium. You know, my father, he's an average-sized man, okay? Um, he hasn't gained weight or height, for that matter, over the last 40 years. Ergo, his size has remained the same. But in the same amount of time, his T-shirt size has gone from medium to large to extra large, just because things change. What really trips me out are the number of places that won't sell small at all. You know, you go to a pizza place and you can get medium, large, and extra large. No small. You can get french fries in medium, large, or extra large. No small. How do you start with medium? What is it medium to if there's no small? <laughs> Have you been listening to how people describe the news nowadays? It's not good or bad. It's wonderful or it's devastating. You know, how's the weather? It's beautiful or it's terrible. You know, despite cultural appearances to the contrary, the Christmas season is not about big and flashy. Although, if done right, big and flashy does look nice. But in the season of Advent, we're not preparing for the arrival of some behemoth. We're preparing for the arrival of something small, a seemingly insignificant shoot. Advent looks forward not to blinding bling, but to twinkle, twinkle, little star. As with so many divinely sent messages, Advent so easily gets skewered by human nature. And so making attention to the small, the fragile, the tender, well, it kind of gets lost this time of year. Instead of celebrating the twinkle in the eye of God, we're blinded by the glare of glitz and glamour. Instead of this being the season where the wolf lies down with the lamb, the leopard lies down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, it becomes the season when the wolf comes out in all of us. Am I right? Don't think so? Um, try going to Mayfair next Saturday, okay? <laughs> or Walmart or Target. Listen to the horns honking at each other, the obscenities being screamed at each other. You know, last week I asked you to pray that you might glorify God and that you would be at peace with your neighbor. Yeah, I've had trouble with that this week with all the cars trying to um, get in front of me and searching for a parking space. I'm like, okay, God, I get the message. We've got to chill in order to bring glory to God and to be at peace with one another. The Advent season, I believe, is the time we need to Christmasize our lives. To Christmasize your life means to pay attention to the small voice, to the small growth, the small crack, the small table, the small talk, the small town like Bethlehem, the small change, the small children. A little child shall lead them. To Christmasize your life means to recognize the importance of the seemingly unimportant. To Christmasize your life means to start small, to pay attention to those things that are smaller in life, to actually go ahead, sweat the small stuff. To Christmasize your life means to do those little things well. To Christmasize your life means to honor the fact that big things start small. They don't start big. 
To Christmas-size your life means hearing God say to you, I've heard you dream, dream, big dreams. You've done small things faithfully and well. Well done, good and faithful servant. You may know already that Teddy Roosevelt was a great outdoorsman and a proponent of our national parks. A biographer of Teddy Roosevelt tells of a bedtime ritual that Roosevelt often carried out with his friend, William Beebe, a famous naturalist, um, before they would go to bed at night when they would go outside and go camping. The two men, they'd go out into the night and they'd look up at the sky at all the stars and all the constellations that were up there, and they'd look for this tiny patch of light near the constellation of Pegasus. It's the farthest thing away that you can see with the naked eye if you have a dark enough sky. And to be honest, I've only seen it with a telescope. Roosevelt would say in prayerful tones, he'd look up at that spot and he'd say, that's the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It's as large as our Milky Way. It's one of 100 million galaxies, and it consists of 100 billion stars as big as our sun. Then Roosevelt would turn to his friend and say, now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. If you want to have the Christmas spirit this holiday season, think small. That's what God did. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.